This is our ninth week in our spiritual conflict series. And what a journey it has been to, to dive into what it looks like to be in a spiritual conflict in this world, to wrestle with things uh, seen and unseen, things that affect us in the material world, but also in the immaterial, the spiritual and the mental world that, that um, is absolutely real. One of the things we talked about week after week was saying this, right, that when we deal with spiritual conflict, it feels like it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Depending on how we feel about things in a moment, it can feel like everything is a spiritual conflict. And then in another moment, it can feel like, what are you talking about, spirit realm and all this conflict? Everything's going great in my life. This is all explainable by material means. We, we run through all those feelings and emotions as we go, and we have to be careful not to swing too far one way or the other in the pendulum of understanding the conflict that we're in. Now, last week, we spoke about uh, how the demonic uh, engages our lives. And we, when we speak of the demonic, we're thinking of uh, all the, the, in the spirit realm, those that are opposed to God, whether those be fallen angels, Satan, and the sin nature, the flesh. We're, we're looking at how, we were looking at how it engages in our lives. And we talked about how it can, there can be the idea of possession or uh, being demonized and the effects that it can have, even on those who want to be followers of Jesus and who claim faith in Jesus, how you can be both oppressed and harassed um, by the uh, demonic and how it can, it can form strongholds in our lives that are evident. Uh, when we, we try to break free of things, we do everything in the natural or everything we can think of to break free of habits and hurts and hang-ups, and yet there seems to be some reason why we cannot do so. Sometimes that's due to the supernatural realm. That's due to the demonic that we've given or have taken uh, a place in our life and have that stronghold in there, and we need to be freed from that. Today, we're going we're gonna to kick it up a notch, literally a notch, because we're going from the ground level, things that we see and face every day, to more of a cosmic level, things that seem to happen in the, the spirit realm at uh, a higher level than just what harasses me or you on an individual basis. Now, our culture, it seems both in its entertainment and with movies and shows that seem to be fascinated with space and realms that don't exist, to billionaires that are spending money from accounts too big for them to really count, to really grasp the 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 idea of, of what's going on. We have these, like I said, these billionaires, they want to be the first to reach the stars and go to Mars and circumnavigate the, the world, not on, not on a ship, uh, on a boat, but on a, a spaceship and do all these things. And they're, they're playing with the idea of going into the unknown, the outer realms of what we understand. But we seem to want to recognize and interact with a world that is just beyond our grasp a world that we cannot quite get a hold of, but we want to interact with it. There's, this, there's a search and longing for us to, to, do, to do something there that I think speaks to uh, how we are made, that we are uh, both spiritual beings and physical beings. We're not one or the other. We're both and, and so we want to interact and engage in these levels. Now, 
for followers of Jesus, the spirit realm is both quite real and yet seemingly unobservable at the same time. We often, like I said, run the risk of, of going one way or the other and imagining it being too much and that it's really tangible and really right there all the time. Um, or we, we don't pay any attention to it at all. And we need to watch that. I was watching a, a movie with some of my kids uh, the other day. And uh, a scene from the movie, it was uh, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the first movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, if you're, if you're familiar with that, um, that book series and the movie series. And in this, in the scene, there's some hobbits, which are like little people in the, in the, this made up realm, uh, that have been waiting, uh, for a wise old wizard named Gal- Gandalf to show up at a, an inn that they were at, and he never shows up. And then lots of dangerous scenarios ensue that happen without him being there. And later, when they are finally reunited, they implore him to answer them why he never showed up. And his simple response was this, I was delayed. I was delayed. Meanwhile, what happens in the movie is this descriptive scene of conflict that he goes through, this struggle that he encountered, this delay that he had with a friend who actually ended up being an enemy that betrayed him, and how he was, he was delayed in getting to them because of this conflict that he was in. Sometimes there's just a delay in what we want to do and what we think should happen. And we see this in Daniel 10. Daniel in the Old Testament is fasting and he's praying. And he does this for three weeks without getting an answer. Fasting and praying for three weeks, no answer to his prayer. And then we get this insight. And we see this in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. It says this, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself, that's the prayer and the fasting, before your God, your words have been heard. Hear that. From the first day of those three weeks of praying and fasting, his words had been heard. And I have come to you, I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. You hear that? That's him saying, in his words, like Gandalf, I was delayed. He had an answer. He prayed. The day he, the day he started praying and fasting, his answer was already on its way. And yet, it took 21 days to get there. See, a story like this, an account like this, it gives us a glimpse into the realm of the Spirit. In this instance, it seems that the prince of the kingdom of Persia had authority over the Persian Empire. That in the spirit realm, there were princes that had uh, authority that could stop messengers of God from freely moving to and from wherever they wanted. Conversely, we have Michael, who we see as an archangel in the Bible, had a special assignment to care for the nation of Israel. 
And as he comes in and helps, the message is brought through. John Mark Carmer says it in a, in a very uh, colloquial way. He says this. He says, all I am saying is, is that there seems to be spiritual beings with a measure of power and authority over geographic areas and people groups. Seems like when we look at the world around us, especially in the Old Testament, the gods of the Old Testament seem to have geographic and, and people-oriented authority that they, that they reside over. Now, again, we're not talking about individual um, demonized people that a whole nation, every single one of the people in the, in the nation has, uh, has been demonized or is being demonized, but rather that over that region, over that geopolitical sphere, there is a level of influence that the spirit realm has, that under the rule of Satan, there are, there are spirits that control things. And in an Old Testament version, we see them labeled as gods. That is how they understood and connected to them, that these beings were gods. John Thompson from a church in Toronto uh, and a theologian writes it this way, though God has absolute sovereignty, another secondary theme emerges within the Old Testament narrative related to this cosmic conflict, that there is a struggle that there is something going on, something that we've talked about in the past that reminds us that when we decided to rebel against God as humanity, when we decided to try our own way, we gave away some of that authority that God had placed in our hands as far as ruling and governing earth. We gave it to uh, our enemy and said, we're joining with you in the rebellion against God. And when we did so, we gave authority to things and places, to powers and principalities in this world. And we see that struggle playing out. Now, many of us are familiar with the story of Moses as we continue to move through some of this stuff. The, the story of Moses, who is on assignment from God, he declares to Pharaoh, who is the ruler of Egypt at the time while Israel was in captivity in Egypt, he declares to the Pharaoh, the top authority, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? He exercises his authority and says no. We see then this, this a conflict involving 10 very specific plagues. All right? well, most of us know the story of the 10 plagues. But what you may not know is that many of the plagues are directed at specific Egyptian deity. For example... Amun-Ra was the sun god in the Egyptian pantheon. He was also king over all the other Egyptian deities. So what does Yahweh do? He blots out the sun for three days. That's Yahweh's way of saying, Amun-Ra isn't the king over the other gods. I am. And every single one of the plagues, as you read through, you see that it was a direct conflict to the gods of Egypt saying, you think this god is your god of fill in the blank. And God says, no, I am. Even when you read through that conflict, you'll see that some of the, the sorcerers and, and, and wise men of the Egyptian uh, government they were able to replicate some of the plagues on a, on a weaker, lower level than what Moses did through the power of God. We can see that this conflict 
wasn't just a political conflict. It wasn't just a war of, of two political leaders trying to figure out the, the best interest for their, their nation states. There was a spiritual conflict taking place. The conflict that was taking place up there in this realm, out there, wherever the spirit realm that we don't quite understand is, this cosmic realm is somehow affecting life down here. Now, when we fast forward to Exodus 20, where that conflict between Moses and Pharaoh, between the Israelites and Egypt has, has reached its conclusion, and the, the Israelites are now out in the desert, and God is trying to reestablish for them what it looks like to understand and live in the, this cosmic reality of how do they interpret uh, the realm around them and understand the spiritual beings and, and their roles in our lives. And he does this. He, he says this in the, the Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses. The first two we'll just look at here, and it says this. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Interesting how he says that, isn't it? No other gods and no images of things of this other realm, things of the earth and what comes from the earth, or things from the water, or what is under the water. Now, God, in that context, is an invisible but real spiritual creature, right? Like we said and we saw in Daniel 10, we see the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the gods that they serve. That's, again, their way in, in that era of time to describe the spirit realm. No gods before God. No other gods. Now, an idol... It's just a, a dead statue, nothing more. It's something carved. It's something made. It's a created thing that sometimes we give too much power or influence in our lives. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, we see that Paul reminds us that when we worship idols, we are worshiping demonic forces. That, that immaterial object that has no life in and of itself becomes a placeholder for the spirit, spirit realm that it represents. And we end up giving it power, not because that inanimate object has power in and of itself, but because we attach it to a spiritual power that we cannot see in the cosmic realm. Now, watch how God commands his covenant people to have nothing to do with both of them. Why? Because conflict taking place, again, up there or out there somehow affects life down here. So we don't mess around with it at all. We don't move in those directions. We don't find idols. And in our, in our culture in North America, we may look at it and go, like, we don't, we, I don't have idols. I don't have those things. Our idols just look a lot different than maybe they would in some of these scenarios. We, may not, we not, may not put it on our mantle, but we carry it in our wallet. It looks a lot like a little piece of plastic. It could be our finances. 
It could be our careers. It could be our achievements, our success. It could be the measure of health and long life that we have. We raise those things up and we serve them instead. But do not be deceived that serving those things, even though we don't give it a name like Amun-Ra, has any less spiritual connection to this other realm when we put them before God. Now, if we fast forward to the New Testament, we see an angel named Gabriel with authority sent to deliver a message from God. And he's giving this message to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are married but unable to conceive. And for years, this had been the scenario that they lived in. Gabriel, an angel who stands in the presence of God, is sent to deliver a message to them. And this is what it says in Luke 1, 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. We know that he would be John the Baptist. Your prayer has been heard. I think it's probably safe to assume that Zachariah and Elizabeth, who at this time in their, their life, they're not young. They're not just starting out on the, on the road of marriage and family and, and praying and hoping that their, their life turns out well and that they have the kids that they've always dreamed of. Their life has unfolded, and it had unfolded without children. It's safe to assume that this prayer that was heard had been heard many times that this prayer had been prayed many times. Your prayer has been heard. The point is that just like on earth, there is conflict and there are people with differing levels of authority. So too does conflict and this level of authority work in the spirit realm, just like it does here. And how we work out these different scenarios we've talked about is important. You see, we see in Daniel, his prayer could be hindered, but it could not be stopped. 21 days it was hindered, but God's word would be delivered. In Moses, in Pharaoh, Pharaoh could resist, but ultimately God would prevail. I think you can see a theme happening here, right? And in Zechariah, he could express unbelief He could express that he wasn't sure that his prayer had been heard or would be answered, but he would ultimately see what is true. Now, the challenge is for us is that we don't pick one of those three scenarios and apply it to our preference. We often try to do that, don't we? When we look at our scenario, and we want to to figure out which one of those three is is happening in our lives at that moment. We could be praying for something and we just believe that somehow our answer is being delayed in the heavenly realms. And if we just wait a little bit longer, that angel is going to come through with our word. Or in Moses, if we just resist a little bit longer, if we just hold out a little bit longer, if we just say, let my people go, we just do our thing that eventually what will ha- what's going on against us, we will prevail. Or in Zechariah, where it's unbelief and not knowing what, we want to apply those things, but... Sometimes, we just need to trust in God. Not even sometimes, all the time. We need to trust in God 
when we don't know what's going on in the cosmic realm. What do you notice there is we didn't read anything about Daniel understanding what's going on. Three weeks of praying and fasting. His prayer was answered on the first day. He wasn't trying to figure out what was going on. He was just trusting God through it all, no matter what. We see Moses, so he stumbled and worked his way through it and trying to see how God was going to make things happen every time Pharaoh resisted a little bit more and made it a little bit harder for the people of Israel. And yet God would prevail. Ours is not to choose how the scenario plays out, but to trust God, trust what's going on in the cosmic realm, and just rest in that, rest in who he is. I think of that even in uh, my own personal uh, scenario that I'm going through that many of you are aware of, of how I was diagnosed with uh, a, a melanoma on my arm, skin cancer, and I've been working through the treatments for that and have had it removed and, uh, and things like that. And I can, I can want to believe that all my prayers are answered and that everything is clear and good and gone. I can want to do that. I can, I can believe and put myself in some of these different scenarios. And yet I need to just trust God that he'll walk with me through whatever I'm going through. As, as I go through this process, one of the things that uh, as I've shared the journey with you, I just continue to want to be open and vulnerable with you guys is that my journey with it isn't quite over. They, uh, in doing a biopsy under my arm with my lymph nodes, they found a couple spots where the cancer had migrated to. And so I still have a little bit more work to do to eradicate the cancer from my body. And so I know I'm still going to need to do another surgery to, to, to remove some of it in the lymph nodes and then continue on with uh, some type of therapy afterwards, immunotherapy or, or something like that. And I know my journey is not over with that. And uh, Ingrid and I and the family, we absolutely covet your, covet your prayers as we continue to walk through that. But I also know I'm not alone in having to trust God through processes uh, that don't seem like they're done yet. There's so many of you that are walking similar journeys to me, whether it's your health or a family member's health or whether it's a, a condition going on in your family life, or extended, or personal, or work, or whatever. There's so many of us that are in a moment where we're waiting to see what's going to happen. And we want to know the answer as to why it hasn't happened yet. And we want to pinpoint which one it is. Is my answer coming but yet just delayed by some cosmic force? Or is it, is it just now and not yet? I know, I know 100% that I will be fully restored and healed. I just don't know when. It could be this afternoon, or it could be when I see Jesus face to face. But either way, I know my healing will be complete. I just don't know the time. And so yet what I do in the middle of this is just trust God in the process. And I don't try to look one way or the other where in this cosmic realm is, is the issue. I trust God in the process. And when he brings discernment and when he brings enlightenment, I'll receive it, but I don't, I don't go looking for it unnecessarily. Because what that causes me to do is, is to take my eyes off of God, off of Jesus, off the author and the finisher of the work in my life and onto my problems. And I don't need to do that. And neither do you. We can keep our eyes firmly on Jesus. Because like we sang this morning, 
Those words were so powerful to me, and I, I would assume for you too. The cross has the final word. The finished work of Jesus has the final word in every single one of our lives, in every single one of our scenarios. Though they do not maybe turn out the way we want them to or wish they would or could, the cross has the final word. There's also another powerful principle for each of us today, which is this, that through our human allegiance and obedience to one side or the other in the spiritual conflict, either God or Satan can gain greater power to work in human affairs. Now, to bring clarity and make sure that we're, we're on the same page here, when I say greater power, that doesn't mean more power. Okay? Because we know that God is all-powerful. God is I am. There's no more power that could become available to God. What I simply mean is this. There's more authority to exercise that given power in human affairs. When we align with God, we give God more access to our lives as we are obedient to him. And he can then lead us and guide us as we follow him. Conversely, the more we attach ourselves to the other side, to a cosmic realm that does not have our best interest but our destruction in mind, the more we give the spirit realm there, our enemy, Satan, and, and uh, those following him, give him authority, greater authority in our lives to disrupt what we do. We have a role to play in this conflict. How we deal with that, how we wrestle with it is important. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We walk in the flesh, but we are not waging war according to the flesh. Don't we get so caught up in that sometimes? where we're walking and dealing with people, with flesh all the time, and we want to have our conflict with other flesh. But that's not where our battle lies at all. Our battle lies in a whole different level because we do not wage war against the flesh. And God has given us that divine power, again, to destroy the strongholds, to destroy arguments, and to take every thought captive. Now, the context that that was being written in. It's always great to know the context. What was happening in that scenario was Paul, the apostle who, who is writing that, was, was answering or speaking to a spiritual conflict that was going on between him and other, quote-unquote, spiritual leaders within the Corinthian world at that time in the city of Corinth. 
And there was this battle between him and these other leaders, these quote-unquote spiritual leaders, and their authority to do things. And his was being questioned because he didn't buy into their games of how to uh, speak eloquently and use the words that they used and lead people the way he was, they were leading them and, and do for-profit for teaching and things like that. He wasn't doing that. He was coming in quite differently than, than they were. And so there was this battle that seemed quite flesh, right? There was this battle between who would be leading the church or how these new followers of Jesus would be led. And instead of saying, okay, let's have this battle between us as leaders and, and figure this out, he said, my battle isn't against anybody, but I'm going to come against those strongholds. I'm going to come against untruth. I'm going to come against those arguments, and I'm going to destroy them with every, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. He didn't come to battle anyone, but he came, uh, like Paul, to, he, he came to bring the truth of who Jesus was, to bring the gospel and allow the gospel and Jesus and the Holy Spirit to divide between right and wrong. Church, that's, that's what our role is to do. I know sometimes it seems way too easy to see the conflict against each other, whether it's things like COVID or uh, what spiritual leaders are leading us in the right direction or how to live out our lives in the best way. It seems like we want to have conflict against each other. But I would invite you to not have those those conflicts, to not buy into those arguments with other people, to not wage war on those levels. I would implore you, I almost beg of you to instead come to Jesus, come to God's word, and allow God's word and the gospel to destroy every argument, every lofty opinion that comes against the truth of who God is and the knowledge of God. To take every thought captive when you get sent information, when you get told information that, that just drags you down and away from the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants to do. Take those thoughts captive and instead bring them to the cross and leave them with Jesus. Because our battle is not in the flesh, but we have divine authority to destroy strongholds. So do not let these strongholds take a grip in your life. You do not need to. Just like Paul, you do not need to. And I want you to pay attention to the last part of that verse. He says, after he says to take every thought, thought captive, to obey Christ, right? Take every thought captive so you can obey Christ. And then Paul says this, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is correct, is complete. And what does Paul mean when he says that? What does he mean to be ready to punish every disobedience? Was Paul getting ready to punish them when their obedience is complete? What does that mean? Because it's good to understand what he's talking about in, in this spiritual conflict, in this battle. And the best we can understand this to mean is this, is that when they allow the truth of God to reign in their hearts, when they destroy the strongholds, they destroy the arguments, take every thought captive so that they can continue in the, in the best of their ability to follow God as best they possibly can, when they've done so, what will happen is those that are not willfully wanting to obey God, they will see what happens to them. 
then God will take care of them as he will. But if you let the truth of who God is reign supreme in your life and you take all those things captive and you follow that, then uh, every disobedience will be punished. And we let God handle those things. Now, sometimes he, he chooses to have us act on things, and whether that is speaking clearly to people about bringing division in the church and needing to step outside of certain scenarios. But we do trust that God will lead and guide us in all truth. And as he does so, we'll see the sifting of what God wants to do within our community. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's awkward. But again, if we approach this as not a battle between each other, not a battle between us and our culture, but as a spiritual battle, and we approach others in love, looking to develop unity and peace with others, and to allow God to deal with the rest, we'll move forward with God the way he wants us to. So what does spiritual warfare look like for us then? It's walking in accordance with his spirit. How do we do that? It's submitting to God's word, like I said. It's taking every thought captive to obey Christ and making your next step an obedience step. Now, I want you to watch how the sequence plays out, for instance, in James 5, 16. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we confess sin, what are we doing? We are breaking all the power of knowing, all power knowing or unknowingly we have given to the enemy through sin. When we confess and release what's inside of us, we break that power. And then we're bringing, when we're bringing sin to light, we're bringing it so that we can be healed. Our unrighteousness, which gives the enemy legal access, is forgiven and healed. This area is now under authority of King Jesus. And our prayers, because of the righteousness of Christ, not ourselves, but of his righteousness that he has given to us, make our prayers have great power. So in the same way as seeing this conflict take place up there, and how it's somehow affecting down here. Obedience down here seems to affect things up there. How we respond to what God has for us has an impact in what we do. Our last scripture that we'll look at today is this from Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Can I say this, that sometimes it's just a matter of wanting to stand firm, that that's what it looks like. When you have all the armor on and you think, I have all this armor on, I should be victorious. I should have complete victory and it should feel like rest and peace at all times. And yet this verse says, having done all, 
sometimes your victory is just standing firm. Standing firm in who God is in the fact that the cross has the final word. We stand firm in that. I love how all of our armor is nothing that you're going to see in a hand. It's nothing that you, you're actually going to see on your body. That that breastplate of righteousness isn't shining on me right now. I don't have a, a helmet of salvation that, that is protecting me that you can see. I don't have a sword that I can pull from a scabbard and hold in front of you and point at you if you, if you think that uh, uh, you want to challenge me. I don't have any of those things that you can see in the physical realm to, to put against you in the flesh. But in the cosmic realm, I am completely covered in every bit of armor that I put on to battle not you, not anybody that would come into conflict with me, but to battle those rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, to battle the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's where my battle lies. That's where your battle lies. Dean Sherman says it like this, Satan and all the forces of darkness, which are real, do one thing with powerful precision. They do their best to persuade us from confidently believing and living in the authority that God has given us through the finished work of Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to live with the authority that God has given us. Here's what we have looked at in the last two weeks. Sometimes there is spiritual activity within us on the ground level. And other times, there's spiritual, spiritual activity around us in the cosmic realm. In the Bible, unlike dualists, Buddhists, or Gnostics, describes the world in which we live with one reality, as one reality, both physical and spiritual connected. We are both body and soul. Both body and soul and John Thompson, again, writes it like this. This is the biblical world ver- view. First, that you and I are physical and spiritual all at once. And second, that the universe is populated with sentient beings who interact with each other and not just the laws that run the place. We are in a spiritual conflict. We need to be aware of that. And so how do we walk out this spiritual conflict? We begin here with what I said earlier. Spiritual warfare is walking according to the Spirit. We submit to God's Word. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we make our next step an obedient step. But we also do this. We must firmly trust, activate, and live expecting prayer to be heard and answered. Can you hear me? We expect and believe and trust that every prayer is heard and answered. It may not be the answer we're looking for, but it's answered. It may not be heard and answered in the time we wish it would, but it's heard and it's answered. And we also keep an awareness of the powers and principalities that we see in the New Testament or the, the gods that we read about in the Old Testament. And we seek to have God reveal our enemy and his tactics to us and empower us to battle this foe and not people. We also choose to live as ambassadors, diplomatic emissaries with passports stamped kingdom of God in them as our homeland. 
And we choose to see that kingdom expanded, not by fighting other people, but by loving them while we fight spirit-empowered, armored up the powers and principalities and rulers of this world. That's where we find our struggle. Let's pray. God, it's so amazing how powerful you are and how much everything is still under your control even when it seems chaotic all around us. God, I can't imagine if you were to be able to uh, remove that whatever filter is there on our ability to see the spirit realm, to see what is going on. God, I can't imagine what it would look like to see that in this moment. And in the midst of all that, we don't want to be distracted by uh, what could or couldn't be happening in the spirit realm, God. We want to keep our eyes firmly fixed and focused on you. We want to keep our, our eyes and our hearts completely in trusting in the finished work of the cross. We want to fully trust that as we put our faith and trust in you, your spirit comes and abides not with us, but in us. God, we want to live out this, this conflict that we face in, in life, whether we're battling the flesh, whether battling the world, or we're battling uh, the spiritual forces in the cosmic realm. God, whatever it is our battle faces in any given moment, we want to battle it knowing where we stand in you, the authority that we have in you, the power that we have in you, and not for our own uh, devices, but for your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so, God, we do this today. We submit to you and your word. God, we, we commit to confessing to each other and to you that which could stand in between us, that could hinder us from walking with you and abiding with you. God, we look to, to uh, expose any power, any stronghold, any authority that an enemy could have in our lives. We want to expose it and eradicate it from our lives by living uh, vulnerable towards you and living in, in, uh, with the support of others. We want to break those strongholds, God, as we wrestle not against flesh and blood. God, we just thank you for the work that you have done on the cross, for the authority that we gain in you. And God, I just pray for everyone here today that is facing a battle, that is facing an enemy, that is facing something in, this, in the spirit realm that seems to be uh, trying to take them out and take them down. God, I pray that they would sense your strength today, that they do not walk alone, they do not stand alone, and that today, if they can put on your armor and just stand firm in who you are, it is another day walking towards full victory in you, God. And so we rest in you. We trust in you. We trust that it's not our strength, but your strength that leads us, guides us, carries us until we see you face to face. And we thank you for this. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.